to The Truth In This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today, I'm excited to be in conversation with my next guest, an Arab-American creative based in Washington, D.C., who works as a photographer, writer, and creative director. Their work focuses on celebrating subcultures, underrepresented communities, and familiar moments that evoke warmth and welcome. Back in 2020, they self-published uh, Present Tense, DC Punk and DIY Right Now. My guest is also an active member in various organizations, including the board of directors for uh, Focus on the Story. Please welcome Farah Skyke. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me on. Um, so, you know, with that rousing introduction that I gave post, 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 um, can you can you share with us um, a bit about your background? Um, Where did you grow up and what was like your first um, creative pursuit, creative interest? Can you tell us a bit about that? Sure. Um, this is a really this is going to make me sound really cool and edgy. Like I've always been this cool and edgy. Clearly, um, I was a band kid and an orchestra kid. That was my first creative pursuit. I played clarinet for like one semester in the third grade and my sister called me Squidward. So I stopped playing clarinet. <laughs> if you have a middle sister, you know, the fire and tenacity they bring to their insults and they know exactly how to hit you. It's just like a perfectly targeted, tiny little kiss of a missile uh, that just decimates you, uh, which you don't need at that age at all. Um, played violin for a year. Um, because my parents saw that that was a very nice instrument for their daughter to play. Um, especially when you have brown immigrant parents, but that's nice. Our daughter should play something nice. Uh, and at a certain point in orchestra, our orchestra leader kept saying things along the lines of, oh, we had an upright bass. This is what they will be playing right now. And this is what they, or the, the bass would come in at this point. And like, maybe we can get somebody else to come in from another school and play bass at the spring concert. And during like the lunch break, I was like, Mr. Kohan, can you teach me how to play upright bass? So upright bass became my instrument. Um, I played it from that point on, probably like fourth grade through high school. And it was like my favorite thing to do. I played in jazz band. Uh, I liked to compose stuff on the side as well. Uh, and all this was happening in Seattle and the surrounding suburbs. And when I was just starting high school, we moved to Montgomery County, Maryland, um, which wasn't my favorite because Seattle was like a very cool place to be a youth and like Montgomery County, not as much. Now I have a different appreciation for Montgomery County as an adult who has like a car and uh, a schedule that isn't dictated by school and parents. I think there's a lot of really awesome things are about, about Montgomery County, um, especially the food. Um, but at the time it was like, I have to walk or bike or bus to the end of the red line to get anywhere interesting. Like, this is not, this is not what I want. All the houses look the same. This is, this is actually a nightmare uh, and I am in hell. That's how I felt about it as a 15 year old. Um, so thankfully my perspectives have changed a little bit, but um, that's how I got all the way over here. Um, and it was in high school that I started getting into photography. Um, got a camera one birthday, like very, you know, very elaborate setup, very elaborate Canon Rebel XS. And uh, that was uh, it. And I just kind of carried it around with me to school like I didn't take any photo classes but I was just like documenting everything that was happening in my personal life just kind of practicing thank you um I had a I had a moment early on when I, I was in I, I didn't have the Seattle to the east coast thing because that would have made me cooler I, I probably would have locks or something and I'd be like bald but um <laughs> I'd be just catching fish. I'd be really good at catching fish. Um, no, no, I have fished. I was gonna say I never, never fished, but it wasn't in Seattle. <laughs> it wasn't Pacific Northwest. It was in like Essex, Maryland, or something. I don't know. It was somewhere else. <laughs> I, just, I just always see that thing where they're like tossing like a bass, and someone just catches it like it's a football or something. That's the thing I want to do. I want to be able to do that. I don't know. When one of my friends' parents, in a very Pacific Northwest fashion, like they are inviting me to go camping with their family. And my dad, I asked, like, can I go? Like, they know these parents. This is a friend whose house I'm about to play at. Like, she's approved. She's cool. And my dad just goes, I didn't struggle in Sierra Leone for my daughter to sleep outside for fun. So, like, what do you say to that? Like, I have no outdoor inclinations as a result. None. 
Like, if you were like, well, like I, I can kind of hike a little bit, but I, if you made me camp, I would probably be a, glam, a glamping girly, is my guess. I'm sorry. I'm just going to put it out there. <laughs> how do you argue with that from a parent? You're like, mm-hmm. any have, especially at like in like fourth grade, you're like, I can't compete with that. Like, that's just right. That's just the answer. I think that's just the answer there, you know? Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> um, I'll say, like, I think in, in doing this and doing sort of documenting through, I guess, audio, I got a few of my first pieces of that gear in high school. Like, I found, like, a recorder at home, and then one of my ex-friends uh, did the five-finger discount and slid away with said recorder, so I eventually bought my own and... You know, it was being just a jerk with a microphone, just not really sure how to probably not much change, but not really sure how to uh, get a story out of a person. So just kind of being provocative for the sake of being a provocative teenager. Um, But my initial sort of um, experience or interest was in comic book art. I wanted to be an illustrator. And, you know, that kind of didn't work out in that, that long term path. But, you know, been doing audio for I'm 38 now, so probably 23 years in some way, shape, or form. So yeah, yeah this feels feels pretty interesting. Yeah. So could you describe like your your current work and like what initially um like uh, initially compelled you to explore it? Because I read a bit, you know, that they're sort of subcultures being um, celebrating subcultures, um, highlighting underrepresented communities and and capturing moments. So so tell us a bit about that through your um, photography work. Sure. So I think uh, I came up as a photographer in the era of Tumblr. And I think that was like really the first place I saw people sharing really creative work that felt accessible, that felt like it was created by maybe somebody I didn't know, but somebody that could be a peer, right? This person saw sharing this photo could be like a classmate or a, or a neighbor or somebody, even if they weren't my classmate, right? Like we're on the same level or we could be on the same level. And um, it made it feel really accessible. I've always loved music photography because photography is how I got into so many bands. Um, I had like a very fairly strict, uh, like very strict household, like it's not an uncommon story for a lot of immigrant kids. Uh, but, um, I wasn't really, I don't, this is not punk at all, but I wasn't allowed to go to really anything. Um, especially not on school nights, um, Seattle at the time, I don't know if it's still this way now, really did not have a culture of like all ages shows that DC is really known for. And, um, photos were how I found out about a lot of bands that I liked or like going to like the CD store, the record store and picking up an issue of like maximum rock and roll or something like that. And like seeing what these bands looks like reading reviews, I would almost try to like match the photo with the words and like, see if I could come up with my brain, like what this would sound like. So, um, the photos were always really important to me. It's also the first time I saw anybody who looked remotely like me in this music that in my head at the time was like very white and very male. And it still mostly is. So it's just a fact. Like things have changed a lot, but it still mostly is. Um, but, you know, seeing polystyrene uh, in x-ray specs and being like, whoa, she's got braces. She's got like curlier hair than me. She seems really cool. Her clothes are so cool. Like everyone else is kind of wearing like a uniform. Like this is her posse, but like it's about her. I thought that was really cool. I'm like, well, I can't really sing. Um, but then I remember seeing a picture of Bolt Thrower with Joe Bench playing bass. Um, and I don't photograph as much metal, but I do enjoy metal. And I, it was the first time that I remember seeing a woman bassist in like a heavier band. I'm sure they existed, right? Like I wasn't listening to like the Pixies yet, right? Just thinking of a band with like another woman guitarist or bassist, right? Um, I wasn't into as much stuff like that yet. Um, and I was just remember seeing this person just randomly following like a metal Tumblr page and being like, or like or a MySpace page or something and being like, oh, cool. Like you don't have to be the hot girl in the front of the band. Like Polly Starion confirmed that you didn't have to be like a stereotypical hot girl to be in a band for me. Cause I had seen like Debbie Harry, right? My dad like loved Blondie. I inherited all those records. Thought she was so cool. Um, Debbie Harry is very hot. <laughs> like I'm not saying Polly Starion isn't, but there's a specific like image that goes with like lead woman singer of a band. Um, so I like, gradually saw all these women in bands that weren't necessarily girl bands um, playing other instruments. That's one of the reasons I was inspired to play bass. It just made me want to know more about those bands. Um, like I remember seeing the first time I saw like Lucian Perkins photos of Bad Brains on Tumblr, I got really excited. And really the thing that made me not hate moving to the DC area was this area's legacy of all ages shows, 
of all these reputable bands that were really, really cool. Um, I remember like just missing Q and not you and being so sad about it because I found like a site where like definitely like so sorry Piss Richards like illegally <laughs> Q and not you songs because I couldn't afford it because it was a child. Um, and like getting to DC like right after they kind of called it made me uh, kind of broke my heart. But um, I was always drawn to like heavier music, to punk, to alternative music. Um, we had a good amount of that in Seattle. I just couldn't really access it. So by the time I was like finishing up high school um, and kind of navigating some, like finishing up navigating some family responsibilities, um, I had the opportunity to like just have time to really work on this craft and started just showing up and shooting shows. Um, and I've been doing that a little bit. I would shoot like my friends playing in each other's basements or at like the community center battle of the bands, but nothing like official right nothing important um and to us it was important it was like the most important thing that was happening on planet earth but um i remember like the first few times i've learned like you can't just walk into the 930 club with a camera like with a dslr with a detachable lens like you need a photo pass for that and i was like got it won't do that because i'm very scared if somebody's gonna take this camera never gonna see it again but i would start showing up to stuff um and started getting in contact with some local like online publications to see how I could like be one of their photographers and just practice and get out there. Like I didn't think I was the best photographer, but I knew I had a good eye. I knew what I was trying to do, even if I wasn't fully like a hundred percent achieving it. I think it's like, there has to be some Ira Glass quote about this, right? Where he's just talking about how like when you're young, you have really good taste and you have really good ideas. But when you get old, sometimes you refine yourself so much that you lose kind yeah. of what made have that vision biggest fear in my life but like that is i think I, I can look back at those photos of like for example like i just photographed screaming females again at their festival that they do every year um garden party fest in um in jersey city and i've been shooting that band since like 2011 and when i the other day i found those first photos of them in 2011 and they were not good photos but i could see what i was trying to do like i could see the shot that i was going for um I always really loved photos. I'd always favored photos that were like a little bit messy, but showed the energy and the emotion of the room, the like a crispy, perfect photo of somebody like looking nice. Um, I think that's something that I knew I really wanted to, like I was okay with sacrificing the like perfect photo in order to like capture the energy and the moment and the movement. Like any photo where you felt like you could tell what it was like to be there or you felt like you kind of got a sense of like, you know, what it felt like to be there. Yeah, that was what I wanted to make, what I wanted to achieve. No, I like that. I like that. And I think in, in doing this, as I was joking a little bit before we got started about eh, have a process and all of that stuff, I think in doing, doing these, I don't really talk too much to the guests before, you know, like before going into the interview, because I think there's something like it almost feels like, oh, I have a sense of how this is going to go. I rather feel like you're feeling through the conversation with those imperfections that are in there. And even in the editing process, folks will yeah. ask, so do you trim out those ums and all of that stuff? I was they, like, um, I that very early on that this person is not going to trim that out. And that's how I learned to take pauses instead of saying, um, because I say, um, and like a lot. <laughs> Yeah. quite a bit <laughs> i i say an f word sometimes as my placeholder no 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 that's, that's stupid no but but i i think i think you you lose something so and because I, I like sort of keeping those imperfections in there and, and, and kind of capturing the spirit of something and i think that's what's important and i had to come to that realization in, in doing this and having people listen to it and, and check it out like been podcasting since 2009 and mm -hmm. I get to that point of doing this. And I was like, Oh, people are giving me feedback. Mm -hmm. Oh, people are aware of this. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, I do, I want to put out something that feels very polished and refined. And I remember, you know, sitting, sitting here doing some editing one day and I'm cutting out every gap, every pause, everything. And then I listened to it. And I was like, this sounds terrible. Mm -hmm. it's it panic or conversational at that point. Um, I get it. I used to interview bands sometimes for that website that like, kind of gave me my first start. And I would be on the phone with like Kathleen Hanna. For, that was a like, 15 minute interview. It was very short. It was before that documentary about her came out or like Damien from Fucked Up. And um, 
semi Tommy early on, just have like a couple of guiding questions and then just see where the conversation goes. Like, you know, the questions you have to, ask. You, you must, you love this person. You're a fan. You must ask these questions. You need the answer, but everything else just kind of have like a guiding topic and go from there. And I felt like my best interviews are always just conversational. And that includes the ums and the shits <laughs> and the efforts and the everything else uh, and the tangents and somebody yelling at their dog to be quiet, yeah. uh, which you might hear me do at some point. <laughs> I always all of that stuff includes like the very human element of it. So, and I, and I think that's what what people really connect with as we do more of this this stuff where you have work that ultimately has a digital component to it. Whether it's being images that are online, whether it's um doing having having this that's going online, you know, people almost look like almost expect like yeah this is going to be the polished most perfect thing that's what we're told based on whatever algorithms or whatever the things that are there but the, the, when you get those sort of true fans or the two pe two people that appreciate and dig the work or even the folks that hey i want to check this out i want to be interviewed i want to have my photo taken or have someone come to my show they're looking mm -hmm. for like oh you're capturing this you got that moment you got mm -hmm. the, the sort of energy of that period so that's really dope yeah yeah, it's it's important to me. I uh, I think also uh, there are a lot of ideas and very loud people who will tell you about the right way to do things. And there there's things about being there's ways to do things respectfully. There are ways to do things ethically. But as far as like the right way to take a good photo or what is a good photo, you know, um, I know there's people who are like, yeah, those photos are kind of messy looking. They're a little bit like chaotic and stressful to look at. And I don't know where to look. I'm like, I would say that there's a lot of places to look because it's an interesting scene. Um, <laughs> there's a lot to take in. Um, pick a place to start and go from there. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So can you tell us about present tense, DC Punk and DIY right now? Yeah, right now. It's so funny. This is the last, like, it didn't even feel normal. Uh, it was the last, like, normal thing I did before the pandemic. The book came out on Leap Day 2020. So uh, within a couple weeks, I was getting <laughs> laid off from my day job and figuring my life out. <laughs> so at the time, I had a, a creative day job um, as a creative director at a hotel. Um, and when People are not traveling. That's not as needed. So I can understand why it happened. Doesn't mean it didn't. Doesn't mean it wasn't a bummer. Um, so starting around 2014, 2015 is when I really started taking this seriously. Uh, photographing DC punk shows, focusing on DC bands. Um, it's something I was doing already, but it, I don't know why I decided like this is what I want to focus on and I want to get really good at it. I think it was just the energy in the rooms and it was a community that I already was part of so it made sense and it felt organic and i would you know there were other photographers in the rooms at times and i would notice like oh man that would have been a great shot and my like shot fomo has not released its grip on me to this day unfortunately like i have a hard time going to a show without having some kind of camera on me whether it's polaroid whether it's like a 35 millimeter like what i call like a walkabout camera like i need to have something in my bag um or a dslr or something but um I was photographing just because I wanted to keep practicing and the images that were kind of creating themselves in front of me were too interesting to pass up because, you know, I had gotten really used to photographing at formal venues like the 930 Club or even like Black Cat, right? At 930 Club, you got the luxury of a big photo bar, like a big barricade. Mm -hmm. uh, so spacious and three songs, no flash. And that's the drill for most of the bands, you know. Black hat, not as strict, no photo barrier. You kind of get there early if you want to be in the front, but you still don't use flash. And there's just, you know, a particular uh, set of rules to follow. Um, and it's very comfortable. It's not that it's not challenging, but it's easy to get comfortable kind of in that setting. Um, and when it came to shooting hardcore punk shows, it was different and the venues were less formal and you could use flash. And it was a chance to kind of develop a style that I was really interested in which was very you know lots of movement high contrast and most importantly for me like yes the band is awesome the band is great but i loved getting any photo where you couldn't tell the difference between who's in the band and who's part of the crowd because i feel like that line needs to just be almost like a suggestion or imaginary like respect the personal space but it's like anything it's the same thing with uh drag right i photograph a lot of drag if the crowd is kind of static and not really into it it's hard it's a lot of pressure to put on the performer to just reciprocate that 
And can you, I, to me, like the, the both sides of that kind of like line of stage and audience are responsible for the energy in the room and in the room of hardcore shows, like there's no, there, there's, it's happening. Uh, it's absolutely happening. The energy is coming from both sides and it's really important. <laughs> uh, it's a really important part of what makes my photos look the way that they do. So for a while, people were like, well, what are you going to do with these? Are you going to ever put out a zine? And I would, I would put them up on my website, on the blog page, so people could find them a day or two after the show and use them if they wanted to use them for like a tape or a shirt or stuff like that. Um, and at some point, I think I was doing an interview with Maximum Rock and Roll. And I just randomly threw out like, yeah, I'll make a book. And later I was like, oh shit, now I have to make this book. <laughs> but like you have this idea for this project and you keep kind of holding yourself up and holding yourself back. But once you say it to somebody, it's out in the universe if you are expecting it from you and you have to follow through and do it. And you can't just, you can't be a wuss anymore about it, which is what I was doing. Like, who am I to make a book? Um, who am I to think that the things I'm photographing are important enough? Uh, who am I to think that somebody would want to buy a book from me, you know, um, how do you even make one? All these, all they're very real obstacles. Um, some of them are maybe not re as real. I mean, imposter syndrome is real, but a lot of it is telling yourself stories about yourself that aren't necessarily true. Um, <laughs> constantly fighting that. But, um, I had a lot of help from friends with, um, I hadn't used like Adobe InDesign since the high school paper. So refreshing on refreshing myself on putting together, like laying out the book. Um, I had a printer back out on me in the last minute and my friend Freddie found me another one. I had to like delay the book launch for a week. Uh, so when we had the book launch event. Um, I had like 30 to 50 copies of the book with me and the rest would go up online. So it was like, we figured it out. Still use that printer to this day because they rule. They're a small family-owned business in, I think, somewhere in Alexandria, maybe. I think so. Um, um, had help from Sarah O'Donohue, whose her lettering style for, like, DC punk show flyers really was um, kind of like a hallmark of that time. Like, if you, you knew that she drew the flyer. You knew this was for, like, a DC area show with this very specific kind of, like, wobbly... Um, like shape shifty bubble letters. So mm -hmm. I, I knew I had to have her handwriting on it. Um, and at the same time, uh, Transformer Gallery, which is in DC, wanted me to do my first show. And they're like, well, you should just put the book out around the show. I was like, well, now I really have to do it and get it together. But I had the material. The material was there. I had five years of material. Um, that's a lot about how I guess I kind of answer the process more than anything else but um the whole reason the reason I finally decided to make this book a reality was that I got really tired of people acting like punk music and creativity in general was something that used to happen in DC mm -hmm. and talk about it in the past tense mm -hmm. now we have the title of our book <laughs> I through my creative director job I was uh traveling sometimes to the other hotels that were in the same umbrella under the same umbrella i would go to like la and get picked up or talk to people like oh yeah they had used to have some cool like music and stuff there right like they still do just went to a show the other night like four out of the five bands were local acts and they were all great everybody was more excited to see them than the headliner honestly like it was really frustrating and it's not just for the outside of DC perception of DC, but it's also for DC's own image of itself. Uh, it's really hard to watch the city become less and less inhabitable for people who make art and have creative endeavors. And it seems like you can't, I don't think it's impossible, but I think it's really hard to survive as an artist or some type of creative living and working in DC unless you are a big name who's fairly established or you're working with developers. Um, and especially with something that comes to like punk, that's, you know, not necessarily part of your values to work with developers or work with the mayor's office or things like that. Um, I am seeing less and less like DIY venues exist in DC. Um, a lot of smaller venues have kind of gotten trapped into working with Live Nation um, it's happened over the last few years and they're starting to like really monopolize the market over here. And I think that if I don't want people to forget what we have going here, because if you think that this doesn't exist here, then how are you going to make space for it? Yeah. You know, yeah. if 
you are not acknowledging what's being made and what's creating what's being created in your city. Like, how are you to know that this is something that needs space? Um, and in the book, you'll see photos that were taken in, you know, Black Cat um, or at the Pinch uh, or Slash Run. You'll see photos that are benefit shows at grocery stores and houses. Um, most of those like houses are gone. I think Rhizome is going to move sometime soon because they've gotten pushed out by developers that are kind of like, it looks like almost starting to look that scene from up with like the big buildings all around like the little house. It's very, very stressful. Uh, It's kind of scary to see that happen. And even during the pandemic, you know, I feel like I saw a lot of folks head to Baltimore and to Richmond even because DC was just not affordable um, for folks who were making art. I don't necessarily think all those folks are like trying to make their living off of making punk um, but it feels a little more and more impossible. So it's kind of an answer to people who have a very dated idea of what happens in DC music or what happened in DC music. It's kind of speaking to how things are changing in the city right now, even in the last three years, you know, since the book has come out, there's been more new bands pop up, but a lot of those folks have like left DC because it's not as affordable. I mean, it's less affordable than it used to be. Um, there's a lot of reasons that I felt like this book was important to put out into the world. Um, and once I got out of my own way about the who am I to make a book kind of thing happened. Thank you. I, 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 I relate, I relate so much in, in what you were describing there, because that's in part why I, I started doing this and I've kind of continue trying to stretch what the boundaries are like you, you're from a place, you know, what's in a place, you know, whether it's art, whether it's culture, what have you. And then you have people who have no interest, minimal interest or specific type of interest uh, saying that, oh, that that doesn't exist there. It's just crime in Baltimore moving on. And I'm like, there's a lot of artists here. Like, what? A lot of art, art, there's a lot of great music from Baltimore. Um, I really hate how snobby people are about Baltimore in the D.C. area. So I'm going to apologize on behalf of them because I love Baltimore. A lot. Shout out to you. <laughs> a lot. Um, great bands coming out of Baltimore, like now and forever as well. Um, yeah, these places have rich histories. But, but I think that the thing that always hooks me and really kind of gets me bent out of shape is, and, and it's really frustrating, is, you know, in any city, whatever the city might be, you know, I think when it hits the people who are there who obviously know better, it's like you see what's around you, like you you see all of it. You see whether it's the good, the bad, the whatever you see these things. But when someone, whether it's from a political standpoint or what have you, just says your place is bad, moving on. It's like indirectly they're saying you're bad. They're saying yeah. you're representing that place. And then you got to say it with your chest. You got like this is going to sound wild. You got to be a New Yorker about it. People don't get to talk about New York. You are not wrong. You're not wrong at all. You have to be a Philly sports fan about this. <laughs> nice. nice. I love Philly. The sport, the, when it comes to sports, I am very scared. I'm like, I don't want to be in the same room as you when any of this goes down. I'm scared of y'all. I'm just saying. Uh, even I'm right now. for the Orioles for like five years. And when the Phillies came there, the Phillies fans came there. I was just like, yo, I was told I was going to have a bat stuck in my whatever mm-hmm. if I didn't see this person quickly enough. And I was like, mm-hmm. hey guys, can we just be nice? Two seconds mm-hmm. just here? No. no, it's not happening. <laughs> not happening. Shout out to Philly. Shout out to Break Free Fest. But uh, I'm scared of y'all when it's any of your teams are having a season of any kind. <laughs> I mean, it's been the last few months. I've been going back and forth up there from World Series to Super Bowl. And then it was L's and both. I was like, oh, man, this is not mm-hmm. good. It's not good. But you have to be like that. I mean, that's what's happening in D.C. right now with the federal government deciding, like, it's it shouldn't be surprising. I don't want to be so numb to these perceptions of the places we live that I'm, like, not surprised by anything. Because I think when you're still, I hate when people are like, well, if you're surprised by this, you're not paying attention. It's like, if you're surprised by this, maybe you just have a heart and you don't want it to keep getting broken. <laughs> Maybe you don't want to be accept cynicism <laughs> into your life and just decide this is just how it's going to be. I don't know. So 
I, I want I want to want to ask this question. This is, it has me very very curious because like I'm seeing I'm seeing the the sort of commonality or what have you, and um it, it's it's actually troubling. I'm, I'm I'm having a hard time looking at the screens. It's like oh I'm having so many reflections of myself here. I don't like it. Um, talk about um if you will like those those moments of like challenge, those moments of I guess like like failure or what some might someone might deem as a failure in in that moment. But it's not necessarily a no. It might be a not right now. Because I've I've heard like we shouldn't bury our failures. No, put the context there. I suppose where you know I've had several failed podcasts that just mm-hmm. got to like one. I got to three hundred episodes, and then it was just like, eh, gets we're just gonna stop. You know, we're just done here. Or another where it's just this is just too much of a challenge, too many moving parts. But I think it's something you learn from them. So in that those sort of failures or what feels like a failure that ultimately lead to success. Do you have a favorite failure? Can you, can you like sort of set that stage? I don't know if I have a favorite failure. I think that there were moments where a band would ask like, Oh, we're interested in using this photo for like the back record cover of the record or for a shirt. And then they ended up using somebody else's photo, maybe a more established photographer or something like that. And like, that felt like a failure. Mm. Uh, but looking back now, I don't think it was, um, you know, not being as happy with your set of photos from a show as you thought you would be and seeing somebody else's for me, the battle hasn't necessarily been failures in this part of my life. It's been more like, um, not comparing myself to what everybody else is doing, especially people who have had more practice doing this than I have. Uh, I think I used to look at a lack of longevity as a failure. Like, what if this doesn't last? People will think I failed, right? Um, You know that meme format on Twitter that's like, I think it's Vince McMahon, and it's like just progressively geeking out. Okay, so somebody, I think it was... (laughs) I think it was Connor Donegan who plays, who's a drummer and multi-instrumental talented person, uh, protester and uh, brain tourniquet and a bunch of other bands. But he made one of those memes and it was like straight edge hardcore band from the 80s. Like, and the next step is like only have two demos and they both sound like dog shit. And it's like, the song titles are like homework sucks. <laughs> like... <laughs> husband was literally playing i forgot i i feel so bad that i forget what band this is because i'm like this is his heritage this part of like 80s straight edge is not my heritage this is his heritage and the song was literally called like high school sucks and i was like bro what is happening we are too grown for this <laughs> <laughs> this song rips um but it's true that like here are these bands that like my husband and a lot of other folks are like obsessed with that had two bemo- demos that recording quality is ass but <laughs> They are still very important to everybody who loves them. So whether it was like, oh, me and my friends Paolo and John put out like two issues of our zine and then we didn't do it again. It wasn't a failure. We just were like, we have other stuff we want to do. Yeah. You know? Um, and I think punk punk kind of helped me realize that. Like something can be short-lived. Some of the bands in the book have had like had like two shows and maybe a band camp link. That makes that makes a lot of sense where yeah. changing sort of what one sense is of, is this success? Is this failure? Is this, I think I shifted to, is it something I'm still interested in? Is it something I'm still curious about? And, you know, where where does it go? And just trying to really lead with a vision. And I think that's the thing that kind of keeps me going. And so when those sort of hiccups, they don't even feel like failures anymore. They just feel like, okay, I'm just going to go this way versus that way. And yeah, you know, that, that makes a lot of sense for me. And I think, you know, and as you were touching on like, like early, I think before we got started, just this sort of idea around like, like patience, I've had to be much more patient than, you know, well, I've had to be more patient and more understanding from in, in, in working with multiple people. Like I, you know, doing the whole podcast thing, I was doing it just with me, one other friend, we know what our schedules are. That's what it is. But in doing this, it's like I might talk to 18 different people. I was like, oh, my bad, bro. Picked up a gig. And it's like, all right, I got to shift and figure it out. Yeah, it's the patience piece was huge for me. I think something that has always helped me is I don't just work in the realm of punk. I have 
corporate-ish clients. I have, you know, photo, I, I have assignments that are more photojournalism than they are just me going and having fun and taking photos. Um, I work with a lot of restaurants and hospitality um, inclined individuals. Um, so many people we admire who are artists or actors or creative are older and they didn't really hit their stride or become to notoriety until they were older. Mm-hmm. And that always helped me fight against this kind of culture of 30 under 30 lists. Um, and I think that's also, I think the shift away from Instagram, I know the shift has been like away from Instagram and towards TikTok, and I don't really want to do that, but um, stopping caring, like deciding to not care about Instagram likes anymore was really good for me because I was starting to decide that my photo was good or not based on how many likes it got. And that was the worst thing I could have done for my self-esteem was mm-hmm. attaching. I stopped seeing Instagram as this is a, this is a more updated version of my portfolio, like on my website, maybe it gets updated like two or three times a year. Um, as far as like galleries for all these different subject matters. Um, and this is a way to share things and get it in front of restaurants and food editors and things like that to hire me. And it was working for those things. I was getting by hospitality groups, by chefs, um, by publications through Instagram. And I was focusing so much on the likes. It really made me feel like, well, this is a terrible photo. Like, no, this isn't a terrible photo of this food thing you just posted. You just have a lot of vegan punk followers. So when you post a picture of the lobster, it's not going to hit for them. Right. (laughs) Or things like that. Or Instagram is made to be, it's one of the things that makes Instagram addictive is this ever-changing algorithm. Um, And it makes you want to spend more time on the app and get served more ads so that you can you're going to like beat this thing. It wants you to post posts every day, post stories every two hours, like never not have a circle around your profile picture where people post stories for people to see the stories that you're posting. Um, the whole point, even of TikTok and the way they kind of decide what is going to get bumped up and not is to keep you addicted to not just in, not just um, consuming the content people are making, but making more contact for them. So you have people who are addicted to consuming the content, people who are addicted to making it. And chasing links. Um, and I just decided, I think right before COVID that I didn't care about that anymore. Mm. And it was a really, it was one of the best things I've ever done for myself because that's what I was deciding was failure. Like only 30 people liked this photo. I guess the photo is bad. I thought it was good, but I'm wrong. I, I encountered that and I try to play as far as the downloads. You know, and I try to play with this idea of am I making content or am I doing something creative? And that's, that's kind of the sort of conversation I'm having with myself regularly because, you know, all of these different places, once, you know, podcasting became something that, you know, regardless of what it's for, you know, when, once podcasting became something that people got attention on, I remember I used to hear, oh, you're a loser that lives in your your mom's basement. It's like, yeah, but also, you know, I used well, to do, do that thing. But I, I think once it became like a billion dollar sort of industry and you have, you know, these like white dude bros that are just getting all of these big opportunities, mm-hmm. then start getting this sort of attention. And then it turned into how can we have a, how can we turn this into a scalable thing? And you start seeing it. It's like, man, it's only got 30 downloads. It's only got a hundred downloads. And it's a lot of misinformation, buying likes. It's the same thing as like, you'll, you'll see with like, um, you know, Spotify or what have you. It's like, oh, this is how a song breaks now. And that's like, I've never heard of this. What, what is this? Why do they all sound the same? And, and these, these different things. And it's, I, I don't know. I try to be very mindful of what I'm putting out there and how I'm putting it out there. And I would imagine for someone that's in like the visual lane, photography and such, that, you know, that's definitely something that impacts because they deprecated photographers. It's just like, oh yeah, we don't care about that anymore. It's all about video. Right. That's, I try to, sometimes I'll do the real thing. I'll do it with like, um, I've been a framing, art framing apprentice for like around a year and a half now. But that is a reel that makes sense for me to post. Like, there's a process happening. The video makes sense. Like, I feel so silly anytime I post a reel of, like, a bunch of still photos set to a beat. It doesn't feel right. And I feel like I'm, like, dancing for the algorithm. And I don't feel like doing that. <laughs> I'm not interested in doing that. Um, but I understand because it's like, well, this is how you get ahead. Like, I'm in a good place right now. I don't... I... 
I have other parts of my life that I like to participate in and nourish other than working. I don't know if these people have other hobbies or if they take care of themselves. I hope they do, but I'm not interested in like, I'm very happy for the death of hustle culture. I could not be happier about the death of hustle culture. I like nap culture. It's nice. I enjoy it. I like taking care of myself. I like spending time with my dog. I like spending time with my mom and hanging out with her. I like going to the movies. Like I like reading a lot. I really like reading. I like cooking. I, I like my hobbies. I, uh, did not come here to turn my hobby into a career and never work again because it is work. Right. It, today I have probably filed like for three different jobs, maybe like 90 ish photos and answered emails, sent invoices, set up my calendar for the rest of the like next couple of weeks. I, ordered things I need for shoots. Yeah. I've done a lot of stuff today. And like, do I love what I do? Absolutely. It's still work. And yeah. therefore I need to engage in other parts of my life. And I firmly believe that when you take a step back from like whatever is your creative pursuit and you consume other things that are creative in nature, like reading a book or cooking, watching a movie, next time you go back to your craft, you are going to be better because these other parts of your life, whether you realize it or not, are going to influence how you see the project you're working on or the thing you're brainstorming the next time you go up to it. Like, I think art framing has made me a better photographer. I think taking a break from photography sometimes has made me a better photographer. You get tunnel vision. You don't hear any other outside voices. You're not open to any not even criticisms, but observations about like what you're doing or what you're making, not even from yourself. You won't even want to listen to your own, like back of your head thought, like, well, maybe if you did this differently, but shut up. No, we're doing it this way. That's like a conversation. So many of us have in our heads, especially with this health hustle culture bullshit, especially with this, like, you have to be a girl boss, entrepreneur, bootstraps, build it by yourself. Um, I think it's a great thing that like having a team is kind of trendy. Yeah. I have been on so many shoots where I am the photographer and the editor and the food stylist and the prop stylist and the lighting director. And being on shoots where one other person is doing some of those jobs is amazing because it makes me do better at the thing that I am doing instead of wearing five hats. So it's cool that I know a little bit about food styling and it's cool that I know a little bit about lighting setup, but uh, I really like being able to collaborate with other people. And especially after the pandemic, I realized how starved I am for it. Yeah. And I have been for bringing other people into this thing that could be a very lonely practice and it really doesn't have to be. Um, I think people are afraid that if they don't do everything by themselves, they're going to be seen as like weak or not talented enough to do it by themselves. So you need people. Something's wrong with you. Um, collectivism and community, they're not just buzzwords. I, um, I talk about this all the time being like just an ongoing creative collaborative thing. And, mm -hmm. you know, there have been maybe one or two guests that I've had. I was like, this does not fit. You might be a dick. And mm -hmm kind of have to roll it but you know generally it's like oh hey i can learn something i can steal from y'all that's what i do i steal from all of y'all by the way you know i'm just taking mm -hmm. things that you guys say and it's like oh, okay use this in my own practice now my own thought process yeah but it's i think the collaboration thing i think you know coming out of it you know or shifting into this next phase of it i suppose of uh, with with covid and just how you know seeing sort of the value of that collaboration and you know because i'm always sort of the one person you know, being a producer, being the showrunner, being the booker, at times being the editor or being the person that's managing all of this, doing the outreach. It's a mm -hmm. lot. It's and, a lot. But when you're able to get some support, you know, mm -hmm. some some sort of help, I say, oh, okay, cool, cool. I can, you know, do this. Like you were you were touching on. And I think I think that that's um I think that's key. And with that, I want to um move into the 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 final portion of the proceedings today. Ah, yes. Are you, are you ready for the rapid fire portion? Is it rapid fire? Yeah, it is rapid fire. Okay, shit. All right, let's hydrate and get yeah, ready. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've I've been adding questions as you've been talking because I was like, oh, I'm going to change a lot of these. I got some questions now. I got some more questions. Well, your 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 biggest mistake is that you let me ramble. So how dare you? You did this to yourself and to me. The nerf. <laughs> it's, it's purposeful. It's always purposeful. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, so here's the first one. You mentioned a moment ago you you like to read. You're a big reader. What's the last book you read? The last book I read was Stanley Tucci's autobiography, and it's called Taste. I started reading it at home, and when I went to frame at the frame shop, I said, I wonder if the Libby app has the audiobook, and it does. And he narrates it, so I'm just in the studio, and he's telling stories about his, like, crazy, charming life and all these things that happened to him, and then all of a sudden, like, the recipe for a timpano, a la my mother, and my boss comes in and is like, are you listening to a cooking podcast? Anyway, it's delightful, it's charming, it's a nice change of pace, I really enjoyed it. I'll, I'll probably check it out. I, I like audiobooks a lot, so I'm I'm here for it. I like I like Stanley Tucci. I will never not like him as Paul Childs and Julia and Julia. I will never not love him in Big Night. That movie is amazing. <laughs> I've not seen Big Night with him and Tony Shalhoub. I think it's 1996 or 1997. You have to watch it. Okay. Have to watch it, especially if you love food. You have to watch it. I'm a I'm a food person. So with that, uh, this this <laughs> next question kind of lines up. Um, what is your favorite lazy, like I've, you've, you've had a long day which you need to cook something. What is that sort of go-to lazy, low effort, but it's always, it always hits sort of meal for you. Um, I always forget what the correct name for it is. Um, it's, I think it's kind of like a China masala, but it's a Pakistani style chickpea curry. This is something that I first had in a little restaurant outside of my school, outside of UMBC and uh with with an ex and it was so delicious we have to learn how to make this and it became like a struggle meal because it's like five or six different spices one big onion the big can of chickpeas and cilantro um it it, like it's one of those that like once you set it you let it simmer and it's like you just play the waiting game after that it's very easy after college, I had to take a break from eating it for a while because it was all I ate for a long time. It is a really good struggle meal if you are broke. I will say it's like five dollars and you have a week's worth of dinner. So that sounds good. That sounds good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this next one's a little provocative, but I, I, I like it. Uh, what is your spicy spiciest opinion that most people disagree with? Maybe in a, from a pop culture lens. Because I got I got to put a governor on it. I just thought about it. I had to think about it for a second. Your face is melting. That's great. Okay, this got me yelled at at a party once. But I think "Wipe Me Down" is a better song than "Nuck If You Buck." And then, then what? The "Nuck If You Buck." Yeah, that's that might be incorrect. Um, I think "Wipe Me Down," especially the extended version, is one of the best songs of all time. <laughs> you're gonna have you listening to wipe me down now i'm sorry i don't want to there's some people on that track that i'm not trying to hear anything from ever again when it comes on i'm just like <laughs> this is the one so uh yeah if you want to get a bunch of people to yell at you at a new year's eve party at somebody's house you can say that wipe me down is a better song than a few book <laughs> you might be a little bit of a troll there i like that i like this actually <laughs> sorry sorry that also i think i'm right I don't think I'm right most of the time, so I'm just putting that out there. I mean, I like the I love the confidence in that particular slice right there. It's like, look, it's wipe me down. It's just just what it is, you know. So matter of fact about it. Uh, metaphorically speaking, um, if you can convey a message to millions of billions of people through one gigantic billboard, well, let's say with your image, with any image on there that you you choose to have, uh, what would the billboard? you know, have on it? What would the image be? What would it say? Would it say anything? And um, so on. I just think of that movie with three billboards outside of Billings or whatever that's in the Oscars. I I feel like this is one of those rare instances where I read enough shit about it where I was like, well, I don't want to see this movie. Usually I'm like, I would like to go and form my own opinion and I'll fuck this. So I didn't go. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, that sounds like some nonsense. Um, What would the billboard (laughs) What would the image be? I really, this is hard. I'm so, I'm very indecisive person. The hardest part of putting the book, photo book together was like, if I'm going to have like one or two photos per band, yeah. what are photos? That was like, that's still me, which goes first in the Instagram carousel. Uh, oof. What is the image? 
It would probably be a photo from the 2019 Dyke March protest in D.C. of a couple of trans skateboarders being really cool. It would be like, just be cool. Don't be a dick. That's what it would probably say. I like it. I like yeah, it. I was probably would probably say uh, that's that's what I'm feeling right now in this current political climate and always and uh, a lot of people are being complete dicks right now. One hundred and ten percent. This is the last one I got for you. Um, if you were to summarize yourself, this is such a goofy question. If you were to summarize yourself in terms of three colors, what would the colors be? First one would be yellow. For sure. Yellow is my favorite color. Okay. Like this shade of yellow, like my mouse pad pad over here they're mousing on is wow. like this color. <laughs> it's just very like, yellow. Those are very deceiving, but I enjoy color. I enjoy gem tone. Um, this particular color, very warm. Um, it, all the cliches about yellow. That's it. That's one of them. Three colors. Um, the next one would probably be kind of like a forest green. Somewhere between like a forest and an emerald green. Again, I really like gem tones. And the last one would probably be something about a robin's egg blue feels very 90s. And I feel like I'm indebted to a lot of that like culture. I'm talking about like Claire's accessories. Yeah. yeah like Robin's egg blue, like those like baby style t-shirts you would see with like the little Renaissance cherubs painted on them on that, like kind of blue, like blue, like ice spiking gel blue. That You really painted that picture there. I like oh, that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I like inadvertently tried to pick the colors that matched my big three Zodiac sides. I'm so sorry to anybody who hates that but i didn't think that's what i did <laughs> i was like sun rising moon i think i got those um but that's in my brain what makes sense to me they're also just like the colors i gravitate towards the most um and the colors that make me the most excited when i am photographing and deciding to photograph in color um when i see those ooh, we're really we're gonna bring this out in the edit we're gonna like really make this like sing through and uh kind of set the tone for this photo and that's actually it for the podcast um thank you um and i want to um invite and encourage you this is a shameless plug portion of the podcast to share anything that you want to share in these final moments social media website probably website um the floor is yours oh the whole floor that's crazy yeah, not just okay. part of it. Uh, <laughs> you can buy the present tense photo book at farisgeiki.com um if it is spelled correctly in the show notes, you'll be able to find it. So, haha. Uh, you will also find there. It happens. Sometimes it happens. And I'm like, how did this happen? This is literally my email address. What's wrong with y'all? I'm. It's not you. It's like things that have happened to me in the past. So I'm like, wow, that's crazy that you misspelled my name. Even though you successfully typed in my email address, which is my first name and last name. That's crazy. It's happened. I don't know. Um, you can also find there. Uh, the coloring book I made of my show photos during COVID because I was bored and wasn't taking photos and photo prints. Um, I'm on all the social media as at really Farah. It is the same username I have had since Zanga. <laughs> and I just never taken it. Um, and coming up is, I don't think I'll have another book for a couple of years because it's going to be something different and taking my time. I did shoot my first two cookbooks last year, and th that was like a life accomplishment for me. Uh, those two are coming out both in late 2023, I think. So if you follow me on the internet and follow, follow on Instagram or subscribe to the newsletter that I remember to put out once in a while, uh, you will find out about when those things are coming out and what events are happening around them. And uh, thank you for having me. And there you have it, folks. I want to again thank Forrest Skyke for coming on to the podcast. And I'm Rob Lee saying that there's art and culture in and around your neck of the woods. You've just got to look for it. Yeah.